Let me invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're finally here at the end of Ephesians. 37 messages plus this week and next week. So 39 total. 18 months later, not that it's taken 18 months to get through it, but uh, in a sense it has. I mean, we've had uh, holidays and we've had special events and focused uh, time of messages about certain things going on in our lives so that from beginning to uh, the time that we finish, it will have been 18 months later. We come to the end of Paul's letter to the church in the area of Ephesus, an area that we know uh, lies in West Turkey, south of Smyrna, now Izmir, Turkey. Paul writes a little over uh, 2,400 Greek words. I mean, if you go to the Greek manuscript, it's about 2,400 words. In English, uh, it translates into a little over 3,000 words, which uh, in the end is about what uh, this message this morning is to you. It's right around... uh, 3,000, give or take, depending on how much I uh, uh, give out of what's not written on paper, which is a possibility. Here in these last few sentences, Paul introduces to us a letter carrier, the bearer of the letter to the Ephesian church and the surrounding churches in that area, and then he pronounces a blessing upon the listeners. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. We'll read this entire section here this morning and only cover 21 and 22 in this message. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. The grass withers, the flowers fade and fall, but the words of our Lord God endure forever. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, gracious and true. Open our ears this morning that we might hear your word, that word of truth, light, and love. And then in hearing, Lord, we might actively put into practice that word which is life and breath to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In a sense, what we have here before us is a soldier's training 
manual. In the last few verses in this last chapter of Ephesians has described for us the practical outworkings of the doctrine that the Apostle Paul has given us in the first three chapters, which is invariably uh, his practice in uh, almost all of the 13 epistles, letters that he has written that we have in our English Bibles. He lays the foundation for right living by giving us right doctrine, by giving us the, uh, the, the, the doctrine, the doing, based on the doctrine of the teaching of the scriptures and his word. We especially see at the heart of Ephesians, this verse that is before you this morning, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace, Paul says, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, referring back to that faith, that faith is a gift of God, not the result of works, lest anyone boast. You see, it is God the Father who has chosen us, who has predetermined that we would become, if you are a believer here and now today, a child of God. It is by His doing that you are adopted as His child. God the Son, Jesus, the Messiah, the only Redeemer of God's elect, has come and sacrificed Himself for you on our behalf, that we might have access to our triune God. It is Jesus who provided that payment that frees us from the bonds of slavery and sin and allows us to live as Paul calls us to live, soldiers of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that has come to dwell among us, to live permanently in you if you are a believer in Christ, so that at this very moment you have access through that Holy Spirit to the throne room of our triune God. The Holy Spirit remains as a guarantor of our salvation that one day we will receive our full spiritual inheritance, as if today what we have is not full and complete. It is in very many ways, but it will be much more so as we meet Him face to face. So in a very real sense, our salvation, all taken together, the work of these three persons of the Godhead providing our salvation for us, is past, is present, and is future. This salvation is past in that there was a time, some of you may even remember, when you were not a child of God. I don't remember a time that I did not know 
Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, even from a very early age. Reading Bibles, understanding as best as a a 10-year-old could, or a 12, or a 13, or a 14-year-old could. There are many, though, who can pinpoint that exact rebirth day. That day when, in the past, you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, our salvation is established in God's eternal decree in Eternity, but in a specific location in our past and continues into the present. It's that part of salvation, that process of salvation, that sanctification in our lives that Paul addresses in these last three chapters of Ephesians where he provides some very practical instruction for our present-day Christian living, that we might live out our lives holy and blameless before the one who is our God. Jesus has given us salvation in life. That aspect of salvation that he gives to us provides for us a, a fruitful life and An understanding as best as we can understand the ways of our God. But you see, even though our salvation is past, working out in the present, there's a part of our salvation that it will be completed in the future. Because we are not all today what we will be tomorrow. Or even when Christ returns and we are raised with Him, the Bride of Christ. There's that future aspect of our salvation. And as good as the present today is, even in the midst of all the restrictions that we have, it is still good. Because God is good. What God has in store for us in the future will far surpass anything that we can even imagine or think about today. Our salvation is of the past, working itself out by God's grace in the present with a hope for fulfillment in the future. But our salvation that Paul describes here in Ephesians is personal. For by grace, he says, You, he doesn't say you all, it's singular there. You have been saved by God's grace through faith. Our salvation is something that I've heard people say is very private for us as individuals. But our salvation is also something that is public. We make public professions of faith. We baptize in the midst of congregations whether it be at the table or, as some, down by the river. Whatever it is, it's in the context of the body of Christ. For our salvation is public and is intended to be public as we go into all the world and preach the gospel. See, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes... 
Three more chapters after chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6, in which he draws out for us the foundation of practical Christian living and instruction about how this salvation that we have as a gift from God has been provided for us and ought to work out in us and through us day by day and moment by moment. So the last half of this basic training manual is focused on how we ought to apply these principles in our lives. And he provides for us these principles about how we are to treat and deal with one another. Our view of ourselves, our view of one another, and our relationships that we have with one another, husbands and wives, wives and husbands, parents and children, slaves and masters, authority, people over us, our relationship to God. All of that is based upon that firm foundation of the doctrine, of the teaching that Paul gives us in those first Three chapters of Ephesians. Giving us guidelines about how to live together with one another. And for one another. Paul has even dealt with, most recently here in chapter 6, how we are to pray as we come into God's presence. Pray for ourselves, pray for the others, intercede for one another, and pray for the ministry of the church. Remember I said, pray for me. Paul says, pray for me. So he said it, I felt like it probably wasn't dangerous territory for me to get out and step onto. I said, pray for me. Not intending to say that you don't pray for me. Because I know you do. I know you pray for the ministry here. You pray for Matthew. You pray for me. You pray for others who have been called to the ministry, who stand in this pulpit and preach the gospel. Because we couldn't do it without your prayers, without that support. And Paul knew it. I know it. And everybody who goes into the ministry must come to terms with that. Paul here gives these final words to us. Words to a faithful people. As we draw this study of Ephesians to a close, as he considers uh, and, and presents to us these last four, what we have are verses in our English Bibles, where he introduces the bearer, of this letter, the letter carrier, and then pronounces a blessing. Often, I don't know if you realize this or not, Paul, rather than writing all of these letters by his own hand, has written at least several that we are aware of because he attests to the change in uh, them being dictated to someone who's writing them down or him taking the the stylus, the, uh, the, the pen, and writing down his own words. Paul often dictated his letters to a, a secretary. The big word for that is amanuensis. And in order to let his readers know, as he closed his words, his letters, some of them, 
that this letter was a personal letter from his heart, moved by the Holy Spirit to them as Christian brothers and sisters, he would write in his own hand at the end of a letter. Galatians, Thessalonians, uh, 1 Corinthians, Colossians, Ephesians. Galatians, he says, see what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Often uh, people will say that Paul had um, an eyesight problem, a problem with his eyes. And that in Romans, I mean, when he was talking about uh, praying to God that this uh, emissary from Satan would be taken from him, that he was referring to uh, the difficulty that he had with seeing with his eyes, how important that is. Paul would often close with very personal words to the people that he is writing to. Here, although it is not... uh, uh, directly in, uh, written down that Tychicus is writing these words down, we see a change in, the, uh, in, in who's being addressed. He, he, Paul says, uh, but that you may also, and then he uses first singular pronouns, I, as if he's writing these words very personally, to the people in Ephesus and churches around. Tychicus is mentioned five times by name in the New Testament, in Acts, in the Chronicles of of, uh, Paul, in Ephesus here, in Colossians, in Timothy, and in Titus. Apparently somebody who had a very close relationship with the Apostle Paul. One of the commentators that I, I looked at, a man by the name of Kent Hughes, says, though the mentions of Tychicus are brief, we can draw some revealing conclusions about his experiences and place in life. Tychicus first appeared at the end of Paul's missionary journey in Ephesus. And since he was a native of the province of Asia... Hughes surmises that Ephesus uh, was the the very place that uh, Tychicus became a believer, a Christian. It was through Paul's missionary works there in Ephesus. And he probably experienced all those trials and troubles and tribulations that Paul experienced there. Persecution at the hands of people in Ephesus because of his preaching of the word. We know that Tychicus traveled with Paul as he returned to Jerusalem and was ultimately arrested and was one of the seven who accompanied Paul and traveled with him. When Paul was arrested, Tychicus along with Dr. Luke, who's responsible for Luke and Acts in our New Testament, stayed with Paul uh, through his Uh, epic journey through Rome, which included in his ultimate arrest and his companionship and imprisonment in Caesarea. 
Tychicus probably went through all of the voyages, all the travel by sea and by land that Paul went through and was right there with him. And as Paul now takes the the pen from Tychicus and writes these final words, he says this, I'll remind you again. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother, faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. Paul calls Tychicus, A beloved brother, a faithful servant, minister in some translations. He's a comforter, an encourager, and a dutiful messenger. As a beloved brother, Tychicus was, I mean, how can we say it otherwise? Greatly loved by Paul by the believers in the church in Rome, the city where Paul was writing. Tychicus had been through trials and troubles and tribulations with Paul. He'd been right there with him through thick and thin. And Paul loved him dearly, dearly beloved, for his constant companionship and his faithful service. That word, beloved, The word, if you saw it in the Greek New Testament, is the the word that describes God's love, His covenantal love for His people. Jesus' love, selfless and sacrificial for those He came to save. In Matthew chapter 3.17, we hear this voice coming out of heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are dearly beloved. It's only other use in the New Testament is a term of affection directed toward those who are believers, trusting in Jesus Christ. Beloved is a term of affection used of deep, abiding love, a selfless, sacrificial love, a love that would go to the ends of the earth Love for one another was characteristic of those in the early church. A Greek writer by the name of Lucian, not a biblical writer, but a Greek writer. We have extra-biblical literature that we can go back and look at that, that overlaps and coincides with many references to the church in the first century. And Lucian 
sometime between 120 and 200 A.D., said of the early Christians this, it is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. Why? Because they love one another. Even as Christ has loved you, has loved us, we have love for one another. And Tychicus is labeled as a beloved brother. Not that he was Paul's biological brother. He was not. He was his spiritual brother by adoption. As God has predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, he had drawn Tychicus together in this family of God so that Paul and Tychicus and you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. This adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into this family of God. And sometimes that family has tighter bonds than our biological family does. And He's done that so that we might share in all the rights and the privileges the sons, daughters of God. Beloved brother, Tychicus is, also referred to as a faithful servant. Now, depending on what translation you're looking at, it might read minister. And that word there, if we transliterated it in, from the Greek into English, would be our word a deacon. A minister, one who, who serves others, one who ministers to one another. Men, women, it doesn't matter because it's listed there as a quality, not as an office, a quality. So in a sense, we are all ministers to one another, among one another. He is a faithful minister. That quality of being true to his word, trustworthy, reliable in all of his dealings with all of the people around him. And that's difficult to do, isn't it? To be that trustworthy, that reliable. We say we're going to do something, and my list grows longer by the day. And the longer it gets, it seems that I've forgotten to do it. And trust me, if you're on that list, I haven't forgotten you. It's just taking time to get to it. Many of us have those lists. Well, Tychicus apparently got right to it. He did it. He was faithful and true and reliable in all that he said and he did. A faithful servant, a faithful minister who kept his word and did what he was assigned to do with integrity and honesty. Paul could entrust Tychicus with the weighty responsibility of the churches in Crete and Ephesus and giving him these letters, entrusting his word to these churches that we have here in our English Bibles. God's inspired word. Imagine if Tychicus knew exactly what he was doing as he took those 
messages and those letters and those words to these churches preserved for us today. Faithfulness, although we may say is difficult to have, is something that we should have. Because, honestly, it's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? What are those fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Oh, patience, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Above such things, there is no law. This faithfulness means that if we take on responsibility as a leader, as a member of a congregation, we make sure those responsibilities get done. Faithfulness is a crucial part of caring relationships that one beloved has for another. Because it means that if you say you'll do something, it will be done. Tychicus is also not only a beloved brother, faithful minister and servant, but a dutiful messenger. Paul actually uh, entrusts Tychicus to do two things. To deliver the letter, but to explain to the church all of the things that have been going on in the life and the ministry of Paul on the mission field. And even through Paul, as he sits chained in a Roman prison. Tychicus was to deliver this letter to the Ephesian church and those churches around Ephesus. Deliver Paul's letters he did to the uh, church in Colossae, the Colossian letter that we have. Uh, A church to the Laodiceans, which apparently is now lost. We don't have that particular letter. If you look at Colossians 4.16, Paul mentions that letter there, but we don't have it. He also was instrumental in delivering a letter to Philemon about the errant slave Onesimus. Tychicus willingly traveled with Paul and for Paul over thousands of miles, over water and dangerous terrain in that ancient world that was often difficult and dangerous. That trip back to Jerusalem would have been very difficult. And it would have taken Tychicus huge commitment from his family and friends and from the church in Ephesus. That trip from Rome in itself to Ephesus and Colossae was a difficult one. And although I have a map, I'm not going to show you the map, I would encourage you to look at a map and go from Rome back to Ephesus in Turkey or Ephesus to Rome and look and see the terrain that has to be traversed. Water and land, mountains and valleys, Difficult terrain that covered over 1,500 miles. He didn't do it by car. He didn't do it by plane. He did it by walking. Traveling on 
boats, ships, to accomplish what Paul entrusted him to do. The second duty that Paul gave to Tychicus was to to give the believers back in their home church an update about Paul and his mission work. In fact, he mentions this three times. Verse 21, so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Again in verse 21, the second part of that, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. A third time in verse 22, he says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. Don't you imagine those people back in Ephesus that Paul had spent so long of a time with, worried and fretted and were concerned about Paul in prison about his ministry work and those efforts. Just as we often hear today about missionaries that are sent out into the field that are incarcerated. They're they're taken into foreign prisons. It would be nice to have a Tychicus come to us and say, this man that you have sent out is still persevering in ministry and service even while he is in chains. Notice what Paul doesn't pray for. Notice what Paul and the message that he doesn't send back to Tychicus. He doesn't say, Dearly beloved, pray for my release, that I might soon be back with you. He says, pray that I would persevere in ministry and service. That I would continue even through chains to be a servant for Jesus Christ. Paul sends words back with Tychicus. Even as I stood in a foreign pulpit last year and the year before on the campus of African Bible University in Kampala, Uganda, and then up country in some of the, the remote areas of Uganda, I stood there. And on behalf of you, dearly beloved, expressed our love and prayers and concerns for the church that was being established in those areas. So it is that Paul sends his word to the church in Ephesus. Tychicus was a dutiful messenger. The beloved, faithful minister in the Lord was one who, without fail, did what Paul expected him to do. Encouraging the church there in Ephesus. See, apparently Tychicus had the ability to uh, come alongside people, to encourage people, as Paul wanted him to do with the Ephesian believers. He sent Tychicus with his letter for those two purposes. was to uh, explain the ministry was still going on, but also to encourage the church's heart that the ministry was continuing. Paul's courageous faith certainly would have been an encouragement to those people as Tychicus came and comforted their hearts. Don't worry. 
Because you know what worry is, don't you? Worry is sin. Don't be anxious. Oh, I'm not worrying. I'm just concerned. Well, (laughs) wait a minute. Isn't concern? Uh, Yeah, we are concerned. But we are often so concerned to the point where we're taking all of that responsibility upon ourselves. Weighing ourselves down when we ought to know and be assured that God is in control. You've heard the analogy, I'm sure, about worry being like a rocking chair. You ever sat in a rocking chair recently? What do you do? You sit there and go through a lot of motions, right? And you get nowhere. I mean, that, that's what worry is. Taking things upon ourselves, Taking them out of the hands of God rather than giving them to Him that His will might be done. And Paul did this even while in chains. The writer of Hebrews said this, encourage one another. Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. What a blessing it is. What an encouragement it is to be an encourager to one another rather than tearing down one another, building up one another. And all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. So let us consider as we conclude here today. Paul was a pretty straight shooter. You know, he didn't mince words with people. He called it like it was. He said it for what it is. He wasn't a politician. He was a man of God. And you sort of wonder in these days and times, can the one be the other? Now I trust that it can. That we can have politicians in the world who are men and women of God. Beloved of God. Trustworthy servants of God. Encouragers in the Lord. Paul describes here this brother in Christ as beloved. Not only as a brother, but a beloved brother. Not only as a servant, but a faithful servant. Not only a messenger, but an encourager in his message that he gives to the church. So let us consider this. There's a TV show that has been um, renewed on television. And you might remember this old show called To Tell the Truth. Remember that? 
Now, maybe you've seen the new revamped version of it, very similar in nature, but at American television show, the panel game show in which four celebrity panelists are presented uh, with uh, three contestants sitting before the panelist. Only one of them is telling the truth. The other two are making up fabrications and lies about who they are. I have been called, beloved brother, a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. I have been the personal letter carrier of such men as the Apostle Paul and traveled by foot and by ship thousands of miles in order to deliver messages of hope and encouragement about our Lord's work in his kingdom and his church. I am Tychicus with a real Tychicus. Please stand up. Every church member, I wonder, or just like you, or just like me, what kind of church would this be? If we were people like Paul describes Tychicus, deep, heartfelt love for one another, so that we would die, literally die for one another. Faithful servants doing what we say and what we have called, been called to do. Totally dependable in all that we have been charged with. What kind of church would this be? What kind of church would any church be? See, then, I think we wouldn't have all the difficulties that we're having right now. All the strife and the trouble and the tribulation. But then, it wouldn't be called now. It would be called heaven. Because that's what it would be. Heaven on earth. No more trials, no more trouble, no more struggle, no more tribulation, no more dying, no more sorrow, no more COVID-19, no more separation, no more sin. Beloved, let us love one another, John says. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who do, does not love does not know God, because God is love. Beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, faithful servants of the one who has called us, dutiful messengers, let's be encouragers and comforters as we live out our lives here faithful followers of Christ. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would enable us to do these things by the power of your word, work of your Holy Spirit in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.